Well, hey there, everybody. Guess what? It's that time again. It's time for another episode of Life Downloaded Live. And as always, myself, Danage, is joined by my amazing podcast wife. The lovely Samantha Rank. How are you doing, no, Sam? I'm really well, thank you. I was just doing a really weird dance. Really said I'm trying to do trying to do like some aerobics every night. So this is the swimming. Swimming. There you go. Yeah. Um, do the swim. I don't, know it, I don't know whether it helps because every day yeah. I kind of get into the German Christmas biscuit and I just have about twenty of them and then I do twenty minutes of cardio and I'm like, that's fine. That's fine, that's gonna help my immune system. Okay, they don't count anymore. Um, I, did, I so, did see that you were on the German Christmas biscuits. Instagram is a wondrous thing. My goodness me, like they are, they are very, very addictive. And God damn you, little, little spores <laughs> for bringing Christmas biscuits in beginning of November. Other supermarkets uh, with Christmas biscuits are available. Just to they BBC. are, they are. I'm, cur- I'm cursing all of you, all of you. How dare you? I think it was actually October. It wasn't even November. It was in October. I mean, for goodness' sake. Well, at the end of the day, we're we're at that time in 2020 because it's been a year. It's been a heck of a year that I think nobody is going to begrudge you Christmas biscuits. Well, I mean, look at the state of me. Look, look. I mean, I just I've just lost the will to live um, nowadays. I have showered. <laughs> Um, and you if have. this is what I look like after a shower, there's no helping me, is there really? Oh. Uh, once the fashionista, now but I'm, I'm at least we know. At least we know you're clean and fresh. That's the yeah, thing. Just clean about. Just about. Now, <laughs> for those of you that are observant watching us here live on Life Downloaded, those of you that are catching up on podcast obviously can't see unless you have some kind of superpowers. Um, there is a wondrous third face underneath us. What? Who is this? Look at this. This stranger <laughs> waving at us in a box. Sam, you know who this lovely gentleman is, so would you care to give him a tremendous introduction to our live downloaded audience? I mean, you say that I know him. He just kind of follows me around a little bit. You know, he keeps turning up at my door, trying to sell me Tupperware. And I keep going, not today, Nick. Don't want any Tupperware, thank you very much. I can get mine on eBay. Fine. So this is a lovely, lovely Nick, and I know Nick through Having Tech. And Having Tech, well, we're going to talk about Having Tech today, but my own Nick's relationship has blossomed um, because of our our passion in life, so to speak. And our passion is um, to be a champion for accessible homes. Because Amazing. I know that I've spoken quite a lot, I think, in the past about my own journey. And, you know, I'm going to touch upon that again today for anyone who's new to the podcast. Um, I am a wheelchair user. I moved to London nine years ago. And um, in my very fairy tale, uh, almost naive um, mind, I thought moving around my own country would be a piece of cake. And the fact that I would need an accessible house or even a home where I could make accessible would be a piece of cake, particularly in a lovely city like London. Oh, how I was wrong, Dan. Oh, how I was wrong. Well, this, um, this is it. Um, I mean, you know, you, you <laughs> and your lovely fairy tale naivety and the world in general, I think, don't understand how inaccessible the world is. And we often talk about 
the the social model here on Life Downloaded. Those of you that have listened or watched our past episodes will be probably well aware of the social model by now. Um, if you're not, we can tell you about it. But I think... Wait, Dan, go on, Dan, give a summary of the social model. Oh, so you know you're putting me on the I've, spot. I've, I've, I've already done mine today. I did a podcast earlier for someone I was a guest. You so I, I've done I've done the social model. So and you you do your social model and I'll do mine and we'll see which one's best. No, well you see this, this is the thing. I'm slightly disturbed at the fact you've cheated on us with another podcast and you didn't tell I me what's, what's this about. Damn, how could you? But Sam, just to say thanks so much for that very kind and generous introduction. And uh, yeah, I'm really what excited. You're my daughter. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really uh, happy to be with you today because your your podcast is brilliant, and yeah, I'm very much looking forward to talking about accessible homes and maybe even Tupperware when we get to the end. Of and maybe the even Tupperware. Where know, has Tupperware gone? I don't know. You where? started the Tupperware thing, not where, me. Where no, is Tupperware? Oh my God, I remember growing up with Tupperware everywhere. Tupperware everywhere. But um, Nick, do you know that you know the social model as well, don't you? Yeah, that's something that you, you know having to kind of. Um, think is really important and you know when we talk a bit about the work we're doing and um, when I come on and hopefully say a bit about the Centre for Accessible Environments that's all very much about how can we make sure our communities are fully accessible and um, you know making sure that our, our built environment around us isn't right, kind of, uh, creating a kind of barrier to disabled people. Right we're jumping the gun because we're assuming everyone knows what the social model means. Dan? Okay. I'm going to mute you in a minute, Nick. Um, <laughs> I'm, joking, I'm joking, my love. This is how we treat all our guests with absolute dis- disrespect. <laughs> disrespect, disdain, and then we realise how wonderful they are. Um, no, in all seriousness, okay, for those of you that aren't aware that haven't listened to all our previous podcasts, Social Model in a really quick nutshell basically says disabled people are not disabled by their impairment so for me that's cerebral palsy for some that's brittle bones for various other people they have various different impairments depending on their own needs we're not disabled by that we are in fact disabled by the fact that the environment around us isn't built accessibly so for example in my own house where i have some adaptions that i need I can do more than if I was in somebody else's house where those adaptions are not there. So I'm disabled by the fact that I'm not in an environment that's adapted. Also, there's a second strand about people's attitudes disabling us. So saying, oh, you're a wheelchair user. You can't be a basketball player. You can't be an astronaut. You can't be... Or whatever your impairment may be. A great lover. Sorry, what was that, Sam? A great lover. A great mother, I'm, I'm sure. Mother, mother. A lover. And a I mother. Was say. Well, Sam, you as a lover, like the, I know, right? the men are very lucky. That's all I'm I saying. I know. But that, this, that is a, a great segue because how Dan has described the social model is exactly where I find myself now. And often when I uh, explain the social model, when I'm on other podcasts or on the television, I use uh, having said, as an example, because I'm currently living is in central London, very, very swanky part. Um, and that is all because I uh, was uh, given the opportunity to have an adapted apartment by having tag. So when it's I as describe if we planned it, no. I know, as if we planned this. So um, how I describe it is my impairment, as Dan said, is Brooklyn Bones. You can put me on the moon, you can put me anywhere. That's never going to change. But my environment disabled me. So in my own home, 
which is a lovely having head flat, it's, I'm fully self-sufficient. I've got automatic doors, I've got automatic windows. The uh, doors are wider, I've got a wet room. The kitchen is on hydraulics, so it kind of goes up and down. So in my own flat, I do not have a disability. Of course, I've got my impairment, but as soon as I come out of my flat, uh, that's where the problems start. You know, insufficient drop curbs, um, lack of public transport that's accessible. So without further ado, because poor Nick's going, I'm running out of my coffee. Um, <laughs> Nick, you are from lovely Habenteg. First of all, what, are, what I mean, I'm sure people might get an idea what Habenteg is, but what, what is Habenteg? What do you guys do? And what exactly is your role in Habenteg? Great. So thanks, um, Sam. So um, I'm one of the directors at Habenteg. I've been at the organisation for two years. And before that, I was at a brilliant charity called Muscular Dystrophy UK. I know they're an organisation that um, you're both really familiar with. And Habenteg, we're a direct provider of social housing. We've been around for about 50 years now. This year is our 50th uh, yeah. anniversary, which is very exciting. We, Do you sing uh, happy about, birthday to organisations? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Habenteg. We have about three and a half thousand homes right across England, working in about 80 different local authorities. And, you know, what makes Habenteg quite different as a housing association is we've got a real focus on accessible homes and independent living, as you kind of summarised really well at the start, um, Sam. And I suppose kind of going back to when the organisation started, we actually... Um, were formed uh, together with a charity that's now known as Scope before then uh, becoming a separate organisation. And what we were proposing 50 years ago was actually quite kind of cutting edge and quite different at the time because we believed then, as we do now, that disabled people should be living alongside able-bodied people in you know communities um, that are inclusive and accessible, whereas 50 years ago it was perhaps more common for disabled people to be segregated in accessible homes elsewhere. So actually, you know, that those ideas we were championing at the time were, as I said, quite kind of different and unique. Um, so I suppose that's a bit about us as an organisation. But again, what makes us quite different is we're also campaigning. So we realise that we can't provide the amount of accessible homes that are needed right across the country. So we're trying to put pressure on government to change policy to make sure all new homes are accessible and adaptable. And hopefully, I'm, you know, I know perhaps we can chat a bit more about the kind of campaigning side of things a bit later on. I suppose just one other element I wanted to share about Habenteg that makes us a bit different. We've got an expert team of uh, consultants called the Centre for Accessible Environments. And they're a group that actually help organisations understand the social model of disability, that help organisations make sure their services are fully accessible so you know we work with public sector organizations large companies corporations doing things like virtual training uh, helping people on the design of their buildings as well so in a nutshell that's a bit about the organization i think what makes us a bit different from a number of other housing associations out there but sam as you said really well at the beginning i think kind of the key part is that idea about accessibility accessible environments and inclusive homes my door's going can you go can you can you carry on See, oh. proof that Life Downloaded is live is it the is fact... Live. Could it be somebody selling Tupperware, as Sam accused me? That, of, that would uh, be ironic, wouldn't it? That would uh, be great. I could if if it's somebody me. selling Tupperware, I'm buying a lottery ticket straight away. <laughs> um, and that's, that, that, and that's, um, 
yeah, Nick, uh, thank you for that introduction. And I think I just wanted to pick up on one of the points you made about, uh, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, we're looking at the DDA and the DDA, yeah. Disability Discrimination Act, it only just turned 25. So it's only been 25 years since the disability community actually had a law saying that, hey, we matter. We, we deserve some sort of equality. And I think, you know, people who are maybe non-disabled who might be tuning in or, you, you know, kind of listening uh, a little bit later on, like, what, why, why wasn't this done a long time ago? Why weren't we making more accessible buildings? But as you rightly said, unfortunately, because of attitudinal barriers, as yeah. Dan pointed out at the beginning, um, you know, we weren't deemed to be part of a society. We often lived at home with parents. We were institutionalized, you know. Um, so, so yeah, there was kind of so much knocking on my door, but they can, I think it's a parcel. They can just leave it there. It's fine. Is it Tupperware is what I was saying? It might be Tupperware, but it can't be you because you're, you're there. It can't be me. I can't be you. Two places at once. See, he secretly has superpowers. That's Super. all I'm saying. <laughs> so, so, you, so Nick, you said that there's three and a half thousand hub tech properties. That's now that, right, yeah. that, that's across the UK. Now that sounds like quite a substantial amount, but actually, let's break that down. In the great scheme of things, you've really just touched the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, with regards to demand for accessible houses. So, can you kind of tell our listeners the landscape of you know, like what, what does that look like? Like how many? How many homes across the UK are are accessible or, or meet access requirements? Okay. And uh, what are those basic requirements? Sure. Thanks, um, Sam. Really good question there. And yeah, as you say, in terms of the number of homes that Habitat provide, we kind of clearly um, can't kind of create enough accessible homes for everybody. We know in the UK there are about 1.2 million wheelchair users. But when we look at our current housing stock, we know that uh, across the country, just 9% of homes are kind of deemed visitable from disabled people. So they don't have those kind of basic requirements that would mean disabled people can kind of simply visit friends and family. Um, Habentech also ran a YouGov poll about a year or so ago when we asked uh, people, you know, would you be able to invite a wheelchair user to your house for a cup of tea, for example? Would someone be able to pop in and visit? And, you know, the vast majority of people said, no, that wouldn't be possible because that person would not be able to access um, everywhere in the home, may not be able to use the bathroom, for example. So in terms of the evidence and the statistics out there, we know that there there is a real problem as a challenge. There aren't enough accessible homes out there. Um, we also know that 400,000 wheelchair users, uh, we believe, are living in homes that are uh, neither adapted nor accessible. So certainly the evidence is telling us there is a problem. And that's why, in terms of that campaigning work I mentioned, we want to make sure we see some changes. And what we want to see, ideally, is for all new homes to be built to what are known as accessible and adaptable standards. Um, very similar to what was known as the lifetime home model. Um, and effectively, what that really means is, you know, as people's needs change, as families um, perhaps get older, then a home can adapt um, and change with families' needs. So that might mean things like grab rails can be installed and installed more easily, and um, there's enough space for people to move around. So we want to make sure that all those new homes are accessible and adaptable. Um, and Sam, I know this is something that we met with um, the Equalities Minister about uh, a year or so ago. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Penny Morden um, 
and who's actually now, she's not the Equalities Minister, but she's still in government. So I'm sure that's someone we could probably go and talk to again. Absolutely. Uh, sure. You followed me on Instagram. Well, like that. Yeah. No, seriously, Sam, I have got... So, so I think there is something that you might be able to post on Instagram to get her involved again, because what I also wanted to mention is, I, you know, that there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to accessible homes. And, you know, what, what do I mean by that? Well, in September, the government announced a consultation about whether or not to make sure all new homes are accessible and adaptable. Um, so what we're trying to do now is encourage as many people as possible to respond to that consultation. So the deadline's on the 1st of December. The government will say they'll respond to that in March next year. So hopefully if enough people respond, if enough people explain why this is a really important issue, the government in March could actually change those regulations to make sure all new homes in England are accessible and adaptable. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a kind of campaigning role that we'll need to push forward within the coming weeks. Um, so certainly I'd encourage your kind of viewers and listeners to go onto our website. We've got a guide in terms of how to respond to that consultation, share it on social media. Let's Excellent. try and get Penny Morden involved again. But yeah, it's really important we try and And, and Dan can put um, the Having Tech website on to the screen so it comes up now. Dan, are you up for you? Go do your techie stuff now. Do my techie stuff. Okay, well, this is unplanned techie stuff, so bear with it's me. Unplanned techie stuff. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's really exciting news, and it's something, you know, you and I, uh, Nick, have yeah. been to Parliament on a number of occasions to really push this initiative and for me to tell my story, you know, of how important it is just to feel like you are independent and, you know, don't have to rely on others. And that can be simply by having very small tweaks. I call them tweaks to homes. You know, and I, whenever I kind of talk to people um, who don't really have anything to do with disabled people, I suppose, uh, you know, about the importance of having more inclusive designs, you know, they they often they often just don't understand why it would be important. And then I raise the point that, well, first of all, you know, we've got an aging population. People are getting older. Um, you know, my mum is a nurse and she works in dementia clinics, and she tells me how expensive it is, you know, to to be in a care facility. And wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to, you know, as we get older, maybe we, you know, have a hip replacement. Maybe we have. Other, other kind of um, impairments that come along with just getting getting a little bit old. Wouldn't it be great for you to physically be able to adapt your property or to stay in your property, you know, a, a, and be in a very safe environment? I mean, for me, you know, it's really funny you said not being able to go to other people's houses. Yeah. Uh, and it, it might sound really basic, but, you know, for me, I always find that I'm, I'm the host with my friends. Yeah. Now, there's... There's obviously the positives to that. At least I know that I've got an accessible bathroom. I don't need to worry about finding, you know, if I need, if I drink too much wine, you know, I can, I, I, at least I've got my own toilet. But on the flip side, you know, as we're all finding now, being in lockdown, it's, it's not so easy being in your own four walls constantly. You know, it's nice to go out and about. And I think the, because there's such a shortfall of accessible homes, you know, what you'll find is people end up coming to you. You end up being the host. You end up potentially spending more money because you're the host. You end up not really going out and being social because you're in your own adapted home. And also for me, like on a very personal level, it's even impacted the way I go around dating. 
you know it always i always think my goodness you know if if i end up going on dates or if i start being in a relationship with someone you know there's no uh, there's no guarantee that i'd be able to go and visit them in their home you know so so you can you can be left quite vulnerable in your own home because that is where everybody comes to you and i think sometimes you know uh, even though i'm quite a sociable person sometimes i just want to be left alone in my in my own house but i don't i'm not given that option because i'm quite limited as to where i can can go and visit so it, it you know for some people that might not seem like a big thing and I'm sure some people might think, my goodness, what's she moaning about? She's got a lovely accessible home, which is completely true. But, I, you know, just having that, uh, being allowed to physically go and move place to place and have that mobility, you know, really is a privilege. Even, you know, if I were to start a family, I wouldn't be able to stay in this home because, it's too, you know, it's not, not, for a, not big enough for a child. So, you know, there's all these things that go through my mind. And even with my career, you know, what if I need to move from my career? How, you know, it wouldn't be so straightforward. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about having more accessible homes. It's not just about providing that stability. It's about, you know, having having your independence being yeah. given back to you. Sorry, I just rambled on quite no, a lot. That's a really good point, Salmon. It's, it's really, really interesting, a couple of things that you said there, because Haventech's um, insight group where we've kind of brought together uh, disabled people to kind of focus around this issue. It's kind of interesting talking to people about how they went about finding an accessible home and actually they said that a lot of the things that other people might have put at the top of their list in terms of the local area, you know, would they like to live there? A lot of the disabled people we spoke to said actually all of that was just chucked out the window and it just had to be simply enough, you know, could they get in? Is it accessible? And if they were lucky, you know, could they see if there's an accessible tube station or bus station nearby? But actually, mm. when it came to amenities, local area, did they, you know, want to live in that part of uh, the world? They said, actually, they weren't able to take that on board. It was solely about, is it accessible or not? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, even just, is it big enough to have um, your equipment? I, um, I was gifted a power chair, a wheelchair, I'm a manual chair user normally. But, you know, I was gifted by the Britta Bone Society an electric power chair. And, you know, power chairs are big and bulky. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And luckily, you know, I've got two big double double cupboards in the hallway. And I actually put the power chair in there, you know. So it's even thinking about really minute details of what about a carer? If you have a carer, where are you go? Where, where will they stay if you do have to have overnight care? You know, so there's so much that needs to be thought about that people probably do take for granted. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I love I love working with with Habitat, and I love what you do. Not only because you know you have allowed me to live independently, and, and um, I want to say you gave me this house. It's not my, my it's not my house. <laughs> I rent. <laughs> Give me the house. <laughs> Give me the house. You heard it here first. Nick says that having said giving me the house. Thanks, <laughs> Nick. Thanks for that. Um, no, I am. A, I am a tenant. I uh, pay rent. Um, yes, but um, but yes, uh, Danny Dan, Boy, have you got a 
What's my question for Nick? Because I realise that I'm sick of my own voice right now. Well, I'm sure everyone else is. Well, you know, no, not at all, um, I'm just contemplating how big that Instagram ad will have to be when you go, thank you, Hub and Tech, for gifting me my house. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about right now. But on a serious point, for those of you that can see the screen, if you saw text flash up, it's because I was instructed to do last minute text things. But the address of Hub and Tech is now on the screen. It's www. Habinteg, which is spelt H-A-B-I-N-T-E-G dot org dot U-K. It's on the screen if you're watching live. Um, we'll put it in the information of the podcast when it goes live on all the podcast platforms. So if you want to know about Habinteg, they are there and you can find them and you can join the campaign for more accessible houses all over the country so that, you know, Disabled people can live in different places by choice rather than by necessity, um, which is a valid, valid point. Um, hey, have we got? Do we have any questions? Let's have a look. Well, we've had we've had one um, yeah. from the lovely Adam Pearson, who we love and know dearly. Adam. He's popped in and he said, "How can we call out inaccessibility without coming across as difficult?" And that's always a challenge for for disabled people. You, as Habenteg, do you have any advice on how to call things out that are yeah, inaccessible? A, it's a good question, Dan. And I think, you know, we'd always encourage people to speak out about those things. And actually, if it does mean being difficult, then I think that is the right thing to do in terms of, <laughs> making, sure that, in terms of making sure that things are fully accessible for everybody. So, you know, I think the key point to mention is probably the Equality Act from 2010, and that's really the kind of law that puts that duty on um, organisations to make sure that reasonable adjustments are carried out, to make sure that disabled people aren't placed at a substantial disadvantage when accessing a particular service. Um, you know, and when businesses or organisations do make changes, then that means that things are more accessible for their uh, customers and make things much more accessible for disabled people using that service. So it could be things like providing information in an accessible format. It might be providing a service in a different part of the building, for example. Um, so absolutely, I think it is important people kind of talk about those things and it can be done in a way that's kind of quite constructive and clear. It doesn't have to be about, you know, necessarily going to the local press or um, creating a huge complaint. It could simply just or be... Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Just Instagram and Twitter. You know, it could just be writing a simple letter about the challenge that that service user had about accessing that service and reminding them about the Equality Act and asking what steps they'd take to address some of those challenges. So I think that's probably the advice that I would give on that. Definitely quote the Equality Act and um, put your concerns in writing and get in touch with them. I, I completely agree. And I think I always say that, you know, other people, normally non-disabled people, that they, they let their egos get in the way of real change. Like whenever someone like myself or Dan or Adam kind of say, hey, we're not happy with this or what are you going to do about this or, you know, your policy sucks, um, you know, we're, we're often met with a little bit of hostility and that is because yeah. people don't particularly like being told what they're doing wrong, you know. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think for change to happen, people need to leave their egos, I suppose, at the door and to realize, well, that's the word that I keep using at the moment, targeted universalism. You know, if we make policies on a, on a, on a, you know, a universal scale, we still need to look at 
individual needs. And by looking at, you know, universal poli uh, policy through minority groups' eyes, we actually benefit the whole of society. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. You know, yeah. if, you, if, if, you know, in 10 years' time, every single building had to meet specific accessibility requirements, can you imagine how that's going to benefit you know, yeah. the, you know, everybody, everybody, and anybody. You know, well, one um, good point, Sam. I thought I thought you you wrote about that really well in your Metro. Why, thank you. Um, a few days ago, I thought it was a really good article, and you know, I mentioned the Centre for Accessible Environments earlier, our in-house team of experts, and actually, groups like the C can help organisations in order to make sure their premises are fully accessible so actually there is that support out there for people to provide online training tips advice telling people about the legislation and offering some of that support and guidance so um yeah i think you're right sam i think that was a good a good summary and um you know, as always about, i speak i speak the, the you know the best advice ever you do um, you speak the lingo i speak the lingo now you mentioned um like the 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 um requirements that are you know, it's standard or, put, or or what you're pushing for. But what does that tangibly, what does that look like? So, you know, I mentioned my home. Uh, my home has had quite bespoke adaptations done. So I got a grant from my local authority. Um, but to begin with, the home had um, wider doors, lower um, light switches, higher plug sockets. You know, the wet room was in, was already installed. So there's things that were standard. Uh, so what what did it look like? So what in an ideal world, what were what having tech pushing for? Yeah. So, uh, what what would that look like? Yeah. And also, so. just before you answer that, this oh, ties yeah, into <laughs> a very nice question that we've just had in from Sandra Bentley on Instagram. Oh, hello, Sandra. The joys of Hi, an Apple Sandra. Watch means I get to see this oh, while we're live. Um, so, and she asks, what is the minimum requirement for adaptations normally? Widened doorways okay. seem sufficient for most builders. So, in essence, what's the minimum requirements right now and what are Habentech pushing for? Yeah. Sure. So, Sam, just going back to your point there, in terms of what we're pushing for, is that standard I mentioned earlier that we described as the accessible and adaptable uh, standard or kind of the homes that are known as Category 2 homes. And by that, we mean things like level access. You mentioned the plug sockets at the uh, level that would provide easy access. Uh, we'd want to see um, walls in that home to make sure that adaptations can be installed much more easily and quickly. Um, things like stair lifts could be provided um, much more cheaply and better. Uh, and again, enough uh, circulation space, enough uh, space for wheelchair users to move around um freely and easily and then things like door widths as well making sure yeah. that they are at the right um space to make sure that everybody can can use them so that's known as the um category two or accessible and adaptable standards so that's what we're pushing for that's what we want all homes to meet and it is actually the case in someone like london so in london all new homes are required to meet that standard um, and that's why we think it should be rolled out everywhere so that's uh, hopefully answers your question Sam. I mean it's not a lot though is it like you know what I mean you're not asking for a lot if you think about it that that, that is very I mean it, it's very beneficial adaptations but it's not they're not crazy 
you know, I'm, you know, you're not asking for a glass elevator, although I would love one of them. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing, yeah. nothing too, for me anyway. In my eyes, it's quite a, a quite a minimalist. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah. Sam, it's also that point. I think it goes back to the question that um, was just asked. It's about making sure those homes are future-proof, so adaptations yeah. can be then kind of built in. Uh, when people's needs change but in terms of those kind of very basic standards so i've spoke around kind of uh, category two um but in terms of the very basic level uh category one then that future proofing isn't actually uh built in so those homes uh, aren't as easy to adapt as people's needs uh change so although that kind of basic criteria that um i, I think the question linked to kind of does talk about level access and sufficiently wide doorways um the the category one is actually more lenient about allowing exceptions uh, so it's a bit more easier for those things to be avoided so that means that homes often don't end up with that step free access or amenities that can be used uh, easily so there's you know there's a bit more wriggle room which is why we want to make sure that all new homes are built for that accessible and adaptable standard and it's why the campaign is so important San on YouTube says they wor- they worry that house builders get out of social housing already. Will will litigation be compulsory? So I think that's the whole point of the campaign is to try and make it compulsory by law that houses reach that level yeah. two standard. That, that's that's right because I think what, what one thing that developers actually tell us is if there was a level playing field, then that would be much uh, much more easy to implement. So actually, if all new homes were built to those standards. I mentioned, and everybody's on equal footing, and there's perhaps less of a challenge within the within the sector. Um, and I suppose the point about cost sometimes comes up. If uh, you know, there's a bit of a myth out there that will hang on. It surely costs more to build homes that are accessible and adaptable. I mean, we know that in terms of a typical dwelling, to build to those accessible and adaptable standards costs just about twelve hundred pounds per property. So uh, you know, imagine in terms of um, the costs that go into building a home and um, selling at home, think about those kind of developers. And that's actually very tiny marginal costs. So we don't believe that people can turn around and say, oh, it costs too much to build to these standards. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's more about the intent rather than the ability or the cost. I mean, you look at even aviation, you know, having a slightly bigger bathroom on, on, on board an aeroplane, you know, uh, it, a lot of people um and are about it. Go, oh, we can't yet. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've got bars, we've got futons, we've got, you know, lie down beds on aircraft, but we can't give a bathroom six more inches, you know, to make yeah. it acceptable. So I think half the battle is, and it's again, what we what we started this podcast off saying it, you know, physical barriers are just as damaging as attitudinal barriers yeah. and vice versa. It's a good good point, Sam. I'd, I'd also encourage, you know, the people that have been asking questions today is, you know, make sure you respond to that government consultation because, you know, those really important points you mentioned, get them down in writing, tell the government what you think. Um, you know, the more people that do that, the more likely we'll see that change to regulations that we've been pushing for. Indeed. So they can do that by contacting their local MP. Is that what you're suggesting? Write, write to them. So, yeah, that's a good point. Sam, I, I think the first thing we'd suggest people do is um, go onto the 
uh, government's website or come onto our website and we can direct you to it to find that accessible homes consultation. So you can respond to that consultation just by simply filling out some questions uh, through an online survey. And we've also got a bit of guidance on the website to help people understand the questions. There's some tips and advice for how people might want to respond. So first thing people should do, respond to the consultation. Um, second thing, as you mentioned, Sam, absolutely write to your MP. I think what we're finding at the moment, it's, it's a bit easier to get meetings with local MPs because things are online now. Um, don't necessarily have to kind of go to a constituency office. People could have those meetings on Zoom pretty quickly. So that's the second thing I'd advise, you know, write your MP, ask for a meeting so you can talk about accessible homes. And then the final point I'd add is, as we're doing today, share this on social media spread the message, tell people to respond to the consultation. Um, it's only when we've kind of got everybody talking with one voice, we can actually get uh, see change happen. Indeed. Another question that's just quickly come through, well, a statement really. San on YouTube says they, they contacted a builder about a wet room and they wanted to charge them £30,000 to install it. They're now going to contact their MP and talk about this legislation. So that's positive. Yay! But, um, that's good. Outside of, because um, obviously Hub and Tech, I'm sure, work with many partner organisations as well. If people are, if people are looking for get for getting current properties adapted, do you have any advice in terms of that from Hub and Tech or or yeah, organisations you question. can signpost to? It's a good question, Dan. I think if, if there's anyone out there that's um, you know perhaps struggling to find an accessible home, you know one thing we'd suggest is make sure you contact your local authority and speak to the housing team and you might be able to sign up to um, something known as choice-based lettings if that is available in a local authority area when you can look at properties available um, and see if they're accessible or not. I think in terms of people needing adaptations in their current homes, I suggest you speak to your local housing occupational therapist and Perhaps ask if you can have an assessment for a disabled facilities grant. So councils can provide up to £30,000 funding to um, help with adaptations um, and aids as well. Again, if there are any tenants out there, um, of tenants of housing associations, speak to them directly because housing associations often do hold their own relatively small budgets, but they can also provide helpful aids and adaptations. And then just my last point on that, Dan, would probably be you know, some other organisations out there offering really helpful tips and advice. I'd say the Citizens Advice Bureau has some really helpful advice around housing. Um, shelter is, I think, really good as well in terms of navigating um, around the place. And then that last organisation, in terms of just your local council, make sure you speak to the housing team, make sure you speak to the OT as well. That's all good. But all sound advice. And I think, you know, unfortunately, um, it, you know, my journey was, was, was tough. And it took years and years and years to be in a very secure place. So, um, you know, it just takes persistence. It does take a lot of phone call and it does take a lot of, hey, excuse me, I am here. Do not ignore me. You know, um, I, I know that's, that is quite intimidating for a lot of people. But all I can say is there are organizations like Habintech, there are campaigners like myself who are, you know, doing our best to kind of raise more awareness. So, Please don't give up too much hope in the sense of, you know, if you find you're not able to get on the property ladder, I just, you know, I'd say just be really persistent, be persistent and don't let anyone kind of 
fob you off. That's the word. Nice northern fob you off. You know, just you, you, you deserve to have an independent life and you're not being a burden. You're not asking too much from, from wanting that. So stick with it because it, you know, it took me, took me six years to get where I am. I know that sounds quite shocking for some people to hear, but it's worth, you know, it is worth the, the wait, so to speak. Um, I mean, there's so much more Dan, uh, Dan and, and Nick we could talk about, you know, even even the benefit system that kind of discriminates so we can't, you know, save up enough money to even get on the property ladder. That is definitely mm-hmm. something after this. After lockdown, it's something that I'm, I myself am going to be campaigning against is, is you know, the, this capped benefit system uh, so that people just can't, can't, can't progress. No. Uh, but that's probably another podcast for another day. Indeed, that's Nick, a podcast all of its own. It really, really is. I mean, Nick, I've thoroughly, oh, God, I said it right, thoroughly enjoyed um, seeing your beautiful face, first of all, because it's been a while. Thank you, you're too kind. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, I'm sure we'll be celebrating in Parliament with champagne, although you won't be pushing my wheelchair, because if I remember, you're not very good after a couple of champagnes pushing a wheelchair. We'll have to not, if I remember. I was also going to say, I think we might have run out of time, so we probably haven't got time to talk about the policeman and the incident around. Um, I think what was it going out on the on the, um, on the terrace or something? I just had a, I think, I just had a flashback. <laughs> See, that's that's how you finish a podcast. <laughs> you leave them wanting more. <laughs> Nearly getting thrown out of Parliament. That's what happened. There you go. That's what happened. But yeah. I got I got Nick into a lot of trouble at Parliament. Oops. Um, oh, on, on that note, we are going to share the shizzle out of this. Uh, yeah. Our lovely technician and boy wonder Dan Edge. That would be me. It's going <laughs> to or Batman as we now see. It's going to um, somehow I don't know what he does. Technical things. Got to get this onto our official website so that you can watch it or listen to it over and over and over again. But once once that's all there, we will um, we'll be sharing it. We'll be pushing it. You guys can push it, and we'll also on our social media platforms we will share the having tag page so people can you know join join any of uh, these these uh, initiatives and uh, campaigns that you've mentioned. Um, Nick, I think you looked at your clock then, so I'm going... No, I didn't look. I haven't got... It's not you, because I haven't known... Look, look, this is terrible. Look, no what? See? You look like a, you look like a bad magician now, Nick. It's like, look, nothing up my sleeves. Honest to God, uh, you're a good sport. Thank you. I, I've, I've actually learned a lot today. Indeed, as um, have I. Genuinely. Mm. I really um, have. Well, really it's been great it. to be here. Thanks very much for the kind invitation hopefully you will invite me back one day i'm sure yeah. we will put, and put just, you on the spot there just to show you free to say no just to, i'm sure we will nick and just to show you um son on youtube has said big thank you for all the good advice so they're obviously gonna go um, and make use uh, of advice you've given that is the power of social media podcast live streaming life downloaded we give you advice or People that know give you advice. <laughs> People we, that know their stuff give yeah, you advice. <laughs> we just kind of sit here and look pretty. Um, but, but no, Nick, it's been amazing to have you on. Um, but if I know Sam's bladder about now, it's probably... You know what? I was just thinking, exactly. <laughs> what is wrong with me? I've got like... I think you were trying to... 
Put the blame on me looking at my watch. I know, I've looked it. I swear my blood is the size of a walnut, which is not big. Um, that tea has gone right through me. Um, so on that note, uh, true to form, we are going to say farewell. Uh, again, honestly, hand on heart, it was fantastic. For probably one of the best uh, chats I've had in a very long time. So thank you. Thank you. See you. See you very soon. Bye-bye. Um, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Remember, Thank guys, you. it's habenteg.org.uk, H-A-B-I-N-T-E-G.org.uk. We'll put the links in all the descriptions yeah. and so on. Take care of yourselves, look after one another, and we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.